0: Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Connell. Episode 73. And my special guest today is former St. George Illawarra captain, Mark Coyne. Mark is an absolute legend of rugby league. Played over 220 games at both the St. George Dragons and then the merged entity at St. George Illawarra. Who can forget 1994 when he probably scored the greatest state of origin try of all time. He actually played 19 games for Queensland, nine tests for Australia, which also included the 1995 World Cup. What I'm really impressed with is his work away from the game as well. He's absolutely flourishing in corporate life. He's currently the CEO of a firm called Employers Mutual Limited. So guys, get ready for some great stories from his career, from the highs and lows of everything at St. George and then again at St. George of La Laura. just an inside look into, we're gonna have some great stories actually from the origin days and you're gonna be surprised that his actual favorite moment from origin isn't the greatest try of all time, but it's actually gonna be another aspect. So stay tuned for the little secret farm from Mark Coyne. Before we get to Mark, just a big thank you to everyone tuning in, I really appreciate all the messages of support. You know, the subscriptions and downloads has gone through the roof over the last kind of three months. So thank you to everyone who's been sharing and telling their family and friends. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. You can do it a few different ways, iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher. They're usually the phone apps that you can use. Or you can catch it all online, www.talkingwithtk.com. Online, I've got show notes, and all the episode guides there is an audio player so you won't miss an episode please jump on there there is a newsletter if you want to subscribe to that it's free and you'll never miss an episode that way as well if you want to connect with me directly i'm always open to hearing guest requests or feedback for the show please send them twitter or facebook i'm at talking with tk or probably the simplest way is send me a quick email tristan at talkingwithtk.com All right, guys, excited to bring this episode to you, and I introduce Mark Coyne. Guys, my special guest is Mark Coyne. Mark is a legend of rugby league. He played over 200 games for St. George and St. George's or Illawarra. Representative-wise, he's played 19 games for Queensland, nine tests for Australia. Away from the game, he's flourished in the corporate world. He's currently the CEO of Employers Mutual welcome to the podcast, Mark Coyne. Yeah, it's great to be on. Pleasure to have you, mate. Like like I told you before, sorry, I am a Sharkies fan. So I did actually spend a lot of time watching you from both Cogra and Shark Park. And obviously one of the great things, you know, you said that you live on the same street as Michael Beattie, but the great ba- the great battles back in the day was Sparkles and ET versus you and Michael Beattie, especially at the start of the 90s. But uh, I want to start the corporate world because you're doing very, very well. Can you just fill in for especially maybe the dragons fans what you're currently up to
1: yeah sure so i run a business uh called employees mutual eml and uh, basically we operate in the personal injury management space and and we look after people who hurt themselves at work and uh and the job of our of my team is to help them recover from work after that injury by making sure they're getting paid making sure that they get the right treatment uh, to recover so we we see our role as a really important role in the community and, and you know we have a, a nice purpose which is help someone get their lives back. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've been doing that now for about six years in this role. I really enjoyed my time, we've had some really good growth in the business. We have about 2,000 people now which sit across you know Australia and also have some uh, operations offshore as well and I'm you know, really proud of the, of the culture that we have here and the team of people that work for us.
0: Yeah, In terms of transition, it seems from me doing my research, you know, for some rugby league players and professional sportsmen in, and women in general, they struggle when they, they reach retirement. It looked like you had done a fair bit of planning before you actually retired.
1: Yeah, I suppose I came through a bit of a different era to the era nowadays in that you know, when I started playing you know, for the Dragons, you sort of had to have a job. Yeah. Five, I think my contract was $5,000, so it sort of wasn't enough to get you through uh, living in the year. So, uh, so I needed another job, and I actually worked for nine out of my 12 years that I played professionally, and okay. uh, those nine years I spent you know, doing, doing work for a credit union in a marketing area. So, you know, for me, you know, when we went professional, you know, I enjoyed the three years because I was sort of bringing up a young family. I got to spend time mm-hmm. with them, but I never really had my, had, had sort of separated myself from the corporate world. So for me, you know, when the time came uh, in 99, when I finished, it, it wasn't a really tough transition to go back into the corporate world. I've got to say, I did find it hard still, but like it's not easy because, you know you, you know, you you miss the camaraderie, you're playing with your teammates and you can't quite, can't quite emulate that in, in, in a corporate world because you just not going through the same battles physically I suppose so um, yeah. so I did find it a little bit hard but I think the one thing that you know I've been sort of blessed with, I've got a really good partner in, in, in my life with my wife and, and one of the things that that she sort of said to me once was that you've got to remember that rugby league is, is what you did not who you are so I sort of never really got caught up in the identity all so much Where a lot of people I think get caught up in the identity that rugby league is who they are and not not just what they do and that's always sort of resonated with me, you know, so I always look back now and think rugby league was obviously a great part of my life, but it was just something that I did at the time and, and I've moved on and, and now, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now and, and that's sort of what I'm doing as well, but it's, yeah. again, it doesn't define me as, as who I am. What
0: attracted you kind of to this employee side, looking after them and also that insurance side that you also look after as well?
1: Oh, well, I sort of, you know, generally most people say they fall into, into, you know, the personal injury industry and I suppose to a degree... I did that. As I said, I started off in marketing and I ended up doing a bit of work for our club doctor at the time, a guy called Martin Raftery and that's I how Martin I
0: done well. I'm actually really good friends with his son, Maddie.
1: Oh you know Maddie, yeah, 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 yeah. So so Martin's, you know, Martin got me involved in doing some work for his company, his rehab company, and that's how I sort of fell into doing, you know, the personal injury stuff and, and then I suppose, you know, once I fell into it I, you know, liked my footy stuff. I wanted to be successful and I worked yeah. pretty hard around that and, and I think the one good thing about being in this industry for me is that I've actually experienced a lot of workplace injuries. so people may not define it, I suppose, as a workplace, but you know I had a lot of physical injuries, and uh, I think I had nine operations over the twelve years that I played football. so you know I know personally what it's like to recover from an injury. and you know I think having having that insight around that helps me understand you know what some of the the struggles are for people who, you know, do have that injury in the workplace and what my team needs to do to help them recover. Yeah,
0: Mark, now your own personal wellness, you know, you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you're in the gym at 4.30. Is that a discipline that you've learnt from footy or is it something new that you brought in once you retired?
1: I've always been pretty disciplined and obviously coming from, you know, the football, you know, the sporting background, you know, being fit was something that's always been, you know, part of my life and, and uh, you know, I think most people will recognise that, you know, when you are, you know, physically looking after yourself, and generally you'll be better emotionally uh, as well. So I think that that goes hand in hand, and and it's also because you know the job that I have here does have its pressures. I've got to say it's yeah. uh, you know it's a challenging role from time to time, and and for me going to the gym in the morning is just when I tune out. And I'm sure there's people I've been going to this gym, the same gym for about six years, and I'd probably no one even knows who I am because I just go in there and zone out. I don't, I don't yeah. talk to anyone. I probably think I'm, <laughs> I probably think I'm all really rude because I don't talk to anyone. But, you know, to me, my time in the gym is just my time where I can just sort of, you know, empty my head out and just do something that, that lets me, I suppose, just connect back with my body and, and uh, you know, come out of there feeling, feeling good about myself and, and then hit the desk and get ready for, you know, for the day ahead work-wise. Yeah, Mark, after years and years of having to carry
0: bulk and having to do a lot of heavy weights as part of your regimen playing rugby league
1: is that something you've kind of pulled out now yeah i don't do a lot of that heavy lifting anymore i do i do do a little bit but i, I def, obviously don't uh, lift anywhere near yeah. what but i used to live to me it's not about that it's probably just you know getting the workout in and getting a sweat up i'm not looking to you know to put on another you know five or six kilos of muscle uh, you know, I've got a 17 year old boy now, I can probably Ben go to the gym every now and again, he bench presses more than me now, to his, <laughs> to his delight. Um, but yeah, no, more it's just around, you know, the activity and, and the fitness. But again, it's, what's really important to me is just that time in my own head where I can just chill out for an hour and, and focus on nothing else except, except doing, doing a bit of exercise. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mark, take me back to the origins a little bit, back to Queensland. What, uh, what town were you born in?
1: Uh, no, I was a Brisbane boy, so I grew up in Brisbane. Yep. Uh, so yeah, and, and obviously just you know, it was a mad keen Queensland fan. I'm the youngest of, of four. I had two older brothers, so we often played you know state of origin in the backyard, uh, knee football, all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> Are
0: they pretty rough on you.
1: Uh yeah, they were pretty rough on me. They they're typical big brothers, but you know, again, probably it was good to get back banged around by them. But um. No, it was, uh, you know, Origin to me was everything as a young kid growing up. I, I loved the game, loved the concept, and, and uh, yeah, it's been great that I got to play a part in it.
0: Yeah, did you have a guy that you idolised?
1: Oh, Wally. Wally was Wally. A, Every kid, you know, through my year, Just just loved Wally. You know, Mel was another guy that, that I really, really enjoyed watching play in Origin as well, but yeah, you know, Wally was the man.
0: Yeah, what was it actually like when you were actually in the same team as these guys?
1: The Wally Lewis one was really surreal because I got picked as 18th man in 1990 uh, in the first game and Wally Lewis was actually uh, under a fitness cloud, so if he got injured, if he got ruled out, I was going in. So I was sitting in the hallway, uh, you know, as I I think I was 21 at the time, in the hallway watching Wally do his fitness test up and down the hallway (laughs) of the hotel. And I was sort of going, I want Wally to play, but then, you know, if he doesn't play, then I'm in. So it was a really funny feeling. But uh, he ultimately got ruled out, Wally, and then um, and then um, I got brought in uh, into the into the 17 uh, on the bench, and then I think the next game uh, I think I think Michael Hagan played that game for Wally. I came on the bench, and the next game uh, I think Hags got injured, so Wally came back into the team. So I actually got to play a State of Origin uh, with Wally, which was which was pretty cool because uh, he got again. Yeah, he was my idol when I was a really young fella. So to play with him was pretty awesome. Where
0: was that debut? Was that at Lang Park?
1: No, my debut was uh, down here at the footy stadium and then the next game was down in Melbourne uh, and then after that because uh, we'd lost the series I think 2-0 by then, uh, I, got, I, got, I got the bullet uh, in, uh, for the third game in, in 1990, then I got, I got put on suspension for a, for a year, I didn't get back in the team in 91, then I sort of came back in in 92 and I suppose I stayed there for a while after that.
0: Yeah, just taking you back to growing up in
1: Brisbane. How did you, was it
0: just following your big brothers into rugby league, is that how you actually found the sport?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I had two big brothers who played for South Sunnybank Magpies and uh, it was our local team and where where I lived and uh, I I just followed them. I just followed into the game and and just loved the game. I I had a bit of a hiatus for a couple of years. I went and played rugby union under 13s and 14s but I broke my shoulders uh, both those years and then I got barred from playing any type of uh, rugby league or rugby union uh, by mum, and then uh, I snuck back in under-15s back to league, and, and I suppose, yeah, I stayed in it from then.
0: Yeah, were you always a centre?
1: Uh, no, I was actually a 5'8", and um, you know people would laugh at that because I, was, I can't pass. <laughs> I can't pass at all from right to left. Uh, I'm really bad at it, but um, but I was a 5'8 for a lot of my, my young years, and then only when I moved over to, I suppose, a more of a senior club called Brothers in Brisbane. Yep. I moved over to Brothers and, uh, and the coach there recognised that I probably wasn't a five eight, yeah, because uh, I couldn't pass all that well. And then they uh, put me in the <laughs> put me in the centres and, you know, centres has probably you know ended up being the right role for me and yeah. and uh, yeah, allowed me to really you know flourish uh, in that position from under 19s onwards. Yeah, in the junior teams, was
0: there anyone else that did make it to the Winfield Cup or the Queensland Cup that were were playing at the time?
1: In my junior teams, no, there's no one really. Um, the only probably guys that that probably under the under 18s, under 19s, are played a little bit against uh, against uh, and Kevy yep. Wilders, and you know those two guys uh, made it through, but probably. Besides those two uh, and me, there's probably not a lot of others that have made it through from, from that era. And you know, in the Brisbane, we were playing against each other.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you're playing for brothers. You ended up playing in a, an A-grade grand final, didn't you, before you actually came to Sydney?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so before it was before the Broncos came in, so the comp up there was you know quite a good comp. So that year that I I made my debut, that year uh, in '87, uh, in the back end of the year, because the the winger who was playing first grade broke his jaw, Vinnie O'Brien, and they brought me in. Uh, to that team. So I played the last seven games which then included the grand final which we won and that was a good, great experience because we were playing guys like Wally Lewis and, and mm. um, I think Greg Kinescu, uh, Greg all those guys were in, were in still playing because again it was before the Broncos came in so the comp up there was a pretty strong comp until after 87 and the Broncos came in obviously the yeah. comp got decimated you know, a fair bit and I think of all of, of the squad we had at Brothers, 25 players moved to different NRL clubs. Yeah, okay. uh, so it really that you know the change of Broncos coming in really you know made Brothers got decimated by, it, which is a bit of a shame. But but that that was obviously what happened. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was a really good comp, and you am know, really proud to to win. It's the only grand final I won, I suppose, in A grade. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a real real good memory. I was only 19 at the time, so yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So how did the actual chance of coming to Sydney
0: actually come up?
1: Yeah, so St George were obviously, they'd had a bit of a tough period and uh, they were looking to bring some, some, I suppose, some some new blood into the team. And they went up to brothers because they were following a couple of the you know uh, guys that cemented their spot in first grade. I was only still playing reserve grade back then, they called it. Yep. And uh, they're up there looking at uh, a guy called Clinton Moore, who's probably the standout player. Uh, he was a fullback for Brothers up there, Clinton Moore, and and I uh, looked at I think I looked at Trevor Bailey, Peter Gill uh, as well, and a guy called Steve Carter. So they're all playing first grade, and I think John Janssen was up there, and uh, the former Dragons player. He was a scout, and, and he just went to one of the early games, uh, which was my game playing reserve grade, and I liked the, like the look at me and. Then I, next week I got picked in first grade, and then uh, they were back again looking at looking at the uh, those players, and again I think they liked look at me that game, and then yeah, eventually they signed all five of us. So all five from the one club yeah. uh, came down uh, to Brothers uh, at, at the end of that year in '88, and uh, I think I was a bit of the afterthought because I, you know. I was just sort of the reserve grader they picked and and i think i was a bit it was a bit of a gamble on me and how i was going to go but but um yeah obviously it was probably something that ended up paid off for them because you know i ended up going a lot lot longer than than the other guys that came down so um so yeah yeah, it was it was was really good did it make it easier actually coming down with five
0: guys because i'm sure that it would have been the first time that you moved away from home so it would have been quite difficult
1: yeah it was because i just graduated from uni just done my degree in business and I'd, i'd lived at home so yeah to come down and I lived with three of the guys, so I lived yeah. with Peter Gill and Trevor Bailey and Clinton Moore and that was really good to come down with them. I got really homesick because when I came down, I went, came down from playing first grade in that first grade grand final and and Saints put me back in the 20s, but okay. all, my, all my all the guys I came down with all played first grade, so I felt really left out. I wasn't training the same times as them, so I wasn't home the same time. So I got really homesick that first year and I was actually thinking about quitting because I wasn't really enjoying my football. and. And uh, I went. Actually, went back to because that year was all my mates' 21st we were happening yep. back in Brisbane. Yep. So I snuck off. I remember sneaking off um, one weekend uh, to one of my good mates' 21st, And I absolutely like. I probably I drank way too much on the Friday and Saturday. And I flew back to Brisbane. I flew back to Sydney on the Sunday to play the Bulldogs, I think, and in the under twenties. And I, I was trying to avoid the coach because I knew I smelled of uh, rum and cake. So I, I drank. <laughs> I drank rum and cake back then, being a Queenslander. And yep. um, and I actually went out and played the best game, which was really weird because I was really hungover. I played a really good game and that was probably a bit of the turnaround for me. So yeah. I started playing really well and got a bit of a rhythm and, and I finished off the year really well. And I think I won the under-20s player of the year. And, and then sort of after that, I, you know, the next year I moved in. So yeah, that year was a really interesting year because I was really close to coming home because I was so homesick. But... Again, it just sort of you know worked out that I started to get a bit of form and, and uh, at the right time, and yeah, then the momentum sort of carried me through the next year.
0: Yeah, who was the first grade coach at St. George at the time?
1: Uh, that first year I came down uh, was uh, Ted Glossop. Yep. Yep, yep. And then we had had Craig Young uh, for a year, and then, uh, and then Brian All right, came. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Mark Coyne.
0: Just a quick break in today's episode. Last week on the show, we had Newcastle Knights legend Mark Hughes telling us his story from both the league and also some some pretty major things that have happened post-league. But here is a quick preview of the episode with Mark.
2: No, no, so I, I got the ball and, and, and gave it to Darren Albert. He went, um, he got played the ball. I went down the short side mm. there. And then Andrew went to dummy half. And I often say to people that I called Joey down the short side. And he come down the short side and he was dummying it. And uh, I'm begging him to pass me the ball. I'm on the side, they dummy to me and give it back into Darren Albert. So and I tell people that Darren Albert didn't buy a beer for 20 years after scoring that try. So if Joey gave that ball to me, there would have been a big saving.
0: For it would me. have been shouts all around. I was
2: actually if you look at the footage closely, I'm actually quite devastated in the corner that I didn't get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so what what an amazing moment. Yeah, just to see Darren Albert cruising. It was like surreal. It was, I remember just looking at it and just running in. I didn't really, I just ran, was running in towards him going, "This is hap- like, is this happening, you know? And the euphoria that surrounded that stadium, It, uh, it, it you see it on TV now and again, and that still gives you shivers, you know? It's just, yeah. just an amazing thing to be a part of.
0: Yeah. So guys, please go back and check out that episode. If you're really into your league, which I'm sure that you are, we've had legends such as Robbie Paul, Andrew and Paul Harrigan, Bradley Clyde, Monty Betham, Renny Matua, Paul Fatiala, Corey Patterson, Richie Barnett, as well as a couple of current players like Joel Thompson and also Timmy Grant have been on the show. So, if it's your first time here, please go through the back catalogue. Plenty of interesting stories, and yeah, let me know what you think. If you're into your fantasy league footy, you can catch me on the official Cronulla Sharks, sorry Cronulla Sharks fantasy footy show. It's on at 5:30. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, and you'll find that on the official Cronulla Sharks page. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Yeah. What was it like actually being under Brian? Because from everyone I speak to, it seems that he was very innovative and kind of before his time.
1: Yeah, I think he definitely was, Brian. But one thing he did bring into the club, I think, was a lot of discipline. So we didn't have a lot of discipline at the Dragons' Uh, yeah, probably the first couple of years uh, that I was there. But Brian was and disciplined by memes, he just did a lot of things like bringing back some of your basic skills. So we did a lot of, you know, catching and passing and yep. just learning how how to, you know, catch and pass again. And people sort of think that's really funny because they go, Well, you know, you're professional, why would you need to learn that? But there are things that you you know, that as you sort of get older and you move through and you talk to other senior players, you recognise that's such an important part of, of what what you've got to do. You gotta yeah. you just got to keep practising and you've got to keep working on your hands and and Brian definitely brought a lot of discipline in, you know, around that. Also around the structure of how he wanted to play. And, um, you know, he was a hard taskmaster, but like Brian yeah. was really tough. But I think that's what St. George needed at the time. And, and obviously, you know, he, he did a great job because he got us to, to two grand finals. Um, and, you know, we had a really successful time under Brian. And, and I've got, I've, you know, he's probably a bit of a polarising character, Brian, from time to time. But I've yeah. got nothing... But you know, praise for him—he was fantastic for me. He really helped me develop my game really well. I, I, can, I can see the other side, but I can see why he's polarizing because he, he could be pretty hard on on some players. But you know, to me, he was great to me, and and you know, I look back really fondly around how he developed me as a as a player but also as a person as well
0: yeah in terms of team culture because just knowing a few former players they talk about going to training and then having a couple beers after training together was that kind of similar when you guys played and was that a contributor to you guys becoming good mates
1: oh no doubt i think no doubt about that we uh we had a really good bond you know at the dragons but again i don't think it's any different to any other club i'm sure all clubs Mm. have a good bond but we did have a good a good decent bunch of people and i think you know the one thing that we were really lucky with it at, at, at the Dragons, is that we, in, in that time we had some really great leaders there. They weren't all obviously captain because we had Mick Potter and Mick Beattie and then I obviously became captain. But we had guys like Goulet and Barnhill. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Adrian Brunker was there for a while. Mark Bell. There's all, all these sort of. Jeff Hardy was another guy. But we had this real good good level of second tier leadership, and that makes a big difference because it doesn't make so all the pressure sits all on the one person and. I think having that really good good core of leaders really made sure that we were disciplined at training and, uh, and you know, anyone who wasn't pulling their weight got, got pulled in the line, not just by the captain, but by, you know, that senior group. And to me, that made a big difference at our club.
0: Yeah, what are you, because 1989 you actually make your first grade debut, correct? Yep. Who was that against, and what do you remember from the game? Uh,
1: that was against uh, the Gold Coast. So I remember that that period when I made my debut, uh, and then played the next few games. Was it was just the a time? When it was just so wet in Sydney. Sydney yeah. was just raining and raining. We were playing. We played my first two games were at Codra Oval. One was against the Gold Coast. The next game was against the Tigers, who were you know they were the gun forward pack at the time, and uh, we ended up winning against the, the Titans. I think I scored a try. Against the Titans in my first game, and, and we won that game. And the next game was against the Tigers, who we won as well, which was, you know, was, was a bit of an upset. But yep. I remember, uh, you know, because Craig Young was a coach, and what Craig Young used to do is he loved just getting the wingers bashed. He used to <laughs> always bag, bag wingers. So I was a wing debut, wasn't oh, it? I was a wing debut, so yep. Albert used to love the winger in off the tap and uh, he wanted me to do this winger in, you know, to Steve, Reich, Edmed, Med, <laughs> and I was just going, oh my god, anyway, I got bashed and I remember, remember I got bashed so hard my mouth guard fell out and I couldn't find it because it was just so muddy because the fields weren't great back then, the yeah. fields were a bit dusty but um, yeah, I got bashed with the winger in and, uh, you know, me and Albert still joke about that and he still reckons that's the one thing that should do more of his winger in
0: yeah.
1: um, it's obviously a bit different now because the wingers are a bit bigger Nowadays, but you know, I was I was about seventy five kilos, ring wet, and I was running up against you know the likes of Roach and those guys. So it was a bit scary to do that. But again, you know, got got through that okay, and and um, you know, I played wing the rest of the rest of that year, I think. And then Brian Smith came to the club the next year, and he said to me, he said, "I actually think you're a winger. I've, you know, I've sort of watched a lot of your videos, and you know, I really think you're a great you're a great player, but you're a winger, you're not a center." Okay. And uh, I was a bit disappointed about mm-hmm. that, and I actually said to him, "I'm going to prove to you that I'm a center." And I played a couple of games on the wing. Cameron Wade was the guy who uh, sort of had my spot in the centres. And I think he got injured and I went into the centres. And then I probably you know, I played pretty well and never looked back after that. So I ended up convincing Brian that I was a centre uh, when he wanted me to play on the wing. And, and you know, obviously I stayed in the centres for the rest of my career.
0: Yeah, Mark, you personally, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable in first grade?
1: Oh, I probably think um, 89, yeah, you're a little bit, you know, am I good enough, am I good enough? Particularly because the club wasn't going that good, but... I probably think as when Brian came. I think Brian, you know, gave me, gave me a lot of confidence yeah. around the way that he approached me. I think even the way that we trained, I started getting pretty, pretty, pretty confident. That we had good structures in place. So I reckon probably, you know, around r- about, you know, 1991, 90, uh, I reckon. I'd even played Origin in 1990 and yeah. still didn't feel confident. But 91 is when I started to feel like I deserved to be in first grade and I could make a difference to, to the team. Yeah,
0: were you very analytical in terms of pre, pre-game? A lot of analysis on the other team and then post game a lot of analysis on yourself
1: uh brian brian was pretty big on that stuff so i suppose just by by default you had to become that yeah. I, I definitely did a bit of preparation and more so around the players that i was marking um just wanting to know you know what 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 they did and what their movements were you know a good classic guy was steve runoff i played a lot against steve runoff and to me he was probably the, the hardest guy that I ever marked, I found him really tough to, to defend against us because he was such a. Was it speed? He was speed, but he's had a, ma- a massive fend. Had a really good fend, yeah. and and if you weren't to him, he could easily just he'd just get you and explode away from you. And he burnt me a couple of times, Steve. So, you know, I worked hard on on him, uh, the pearl. But you generally you sort of you know look at at most players you played against and you try and do a bit of work around them and what they're going to do and, and yeah. what you have to do about it. So yeah, it's very analytical and it's probably it's you know fifty times. You know, worse than what it is nowadays. I, I look at it nowadays, and I don't reckon I would have made anywhere near as been successful because I probably only had, I probably had a few you know good traits, but my one big one, I had a really good right foot step. Yep. And nowadays, I just have so many people on me on the inside, like I, it just wouldn't happen nowadays. I I wouldn't anywhere anywhere near the breaks that I had. So um, so I think I'm fortunate I came through when I did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was going to ask you about the right foot step. Was that something that you learned in the backyard?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I didn't didn't really think I really had that step until uh, I reckon I didn't really realise I had a good step until about the under under 18s, under 19s in Brisbane. I started to use it a lot more because I was in the centres. I think so. So then I started to realise actually that's not a that's not a bad uh, thing that I've got. And then you sort of learn to work it a bit. So then I sort of used to learn how to drag someone out and step them step back in, or I could try and drag them out and I could bring the winger in and then I'd hit my winger. You know, me and Ricky Walford had a great combination where. He just sat on his wing, and I'd always try and drift across and either get, get, get the inside run through my step or drag in the winger and put Ricky down the sideline. That, yeah. that seemed to work pretty well.
0: Yeah, just with Ricky Walford, he reminds me so much of David Peachy. They don't look like they're going fast, but they're just flying. Is that What was it like, actually, him outside you, was it always confident when you passed him the ball that it was going to be
1: a try? Oh yeah, God yeah. Like Ricky only ran as fast as he had to. He's yeah. uh, he did that at training too. He was a bit lazy at training uh, the Black Panther, but um, <laughs> he uh, yeah no he was phenomenal to have on you know on on my side. We played a lot of years together. Ricky had a really good you know, understanding of of our play, and uh, yeah, he just went as fast as he had to. I never saw him get pulled down at all. He he always did just enough to get to the try line. Yeah.
0: 92, obviously, is a huge year you guys make the grand final. I was actually, because Fox Sports, with no coverage during the summer, they were playing all the old games, and they had the 92 series. And realistically, for you guys to get into the grand final, you had three tough games that just went to the wire. Was that a major contributor for having... Did you guys feel like you had any legs going into that grand final?
1: Oh, I think we were, definitely, we were definitely, you know, would have been. They were tough games. I think we, we beat Newcastle 2 0, 3 2. It was Newcastle 3 yeah. 2, and then I think Illawarra was 4 uh, 0. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a tough series. But, we, you know, we were again up against a really cracked Brisbane Broncos team. Yeah. You know, they're they a great team. Um, yeah, you know, I think in hindsight, we probably, you know, we limped into that grand final. Yeah. And, and again, we probably felt, you know, we, what we've done is enough to get here. Um, and, you know, again, I, I don't think we went, we didn't obviously go out there to lose. Yeah. But you know, I think you sort of have that expectation that well, we made the grand final. How good's that? Um, but yeah, we didn't obviously put in a good show that day. But you know, they still had a, they had a pretty good team. We had, I think, we had two rep players, which was me and Brad Mackay, and, yeah. and that was it. And they they had you know nearly every one of their players was a rep player. So you know, it's not an excuse, I suppose, to you know supporters who listen. They probably he- hate hearing me say that. But but they are a gun team, and they got us on the day.
0: Yeah, '93 was a little bit different though because you guys dominated the comp from start to finish pretty much. And you had a much easier run into that grand final. The grand final ended up being a lot closer than it was the year before. You know, Brisbane came from fifth place as well. I'm sure that the expectations going to the grand final would be way different.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think you know if I look at the, I, I sort of was involved, played in three, was involved in four with the '99 series, even though I didn't play. But um, that to me, that was a year that we should have won '93. We, you're right, exactly right. We had a really great final series. We 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 whacked Canterbury and Canberra and and uh, I forget who the other team was, um, another team as well. Um, and then going in against the Broncos, who had sort of come from come from the back end, fifth place to go in and. Yeah, that was it that was a game we should have won I, you know i can't tell you why it went like it did again all i can say is that they had some they obviously were still a quality team uh and we you know obviously went out there and didn't play our best game didn't didn't help you know i think that O oh, jason stevens broke his thumb in the yeah. first tackle which which wasn't great and i think i did i did my knee i, I tore uh, my cartilage in about the 15th minute and i had to come off and i didn't spend much Time on the field until the end, uh, and then I even even then I you know my knee was pretty shot. So um, and I'd had a pretty good final series that series, and and you know I think you know me and Steve probably coming off uh, wasn't great for the team. Uh, but yeah, you know Brisbane are a champion team, and and uh, you know they got a sniff, and they're, they're good enough players to take the advantage of that. But yeah, to me 93 was the. Was a grand final that I'm probably look back on and go, hey, That's probably the one that we really should have won.
0: Yeah, Mark. Obviously, it hurts to lose these grand finals. How long does it? What process do you go through to actually try to get over these and get back on
1: and try to achieve again? Uh, I probably haven't gotten over them. I've got to say it's yeah. uh, it. It is. It is been one of the things that it's been hard. To, I've never watched one of the grand finals. I've got to say and and you know, grand final day, you know, ever since that, that I've retired, I still get cranky on grand final day mm. because um, you know, because I missed that opportunity. But again, you know, you sort of got to recognise, I sort of recognise it's only a game but, you know, I, I do it obviously sits somewhere in me because uh, yeah, cause I get a bit cranky on grand final day. So <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't think it's something that you sort of ever ever get over and and um, you know, it's a missed opportunity I suppose and, and it would have been great to you know, hold, hold the trophy up, but uh, it didn't happen for me. Look, it doesn't I'm not, you know, psychotic about it, but yeah, you know, it still hurts a bit that that, that I didn't win a grand final, and I've got Alfie and Kevin Walters remind me every year when I see them oh, about it no. as well, so uh, <laughs> so it's very hard to forget.
0: Yeah, Mark, you take over as captain in 94. Was that a natural progression? Was there a conversation prior to Michael Beattie retiring that you would be the next captain?
1: Oh, I think it sort of came down to me and Brad Mackay, who'd been sort of, a, you know, a long stalwart at the club as well, um, and uh you know brian you know i suppose you know picked me for uh, you know again we didn't really talk about why why they wanted to put me i suppose i've always been someone that's been passionate about the club and always had a voice i suppose like i've never sort of been shy around putting my views forward around what we should do and i think i learned that from you know the two micks mick Beattie and mick potter told me you know they they helped me understand the role of you know it was probably not as, as a leader not as the captain and i suppose i just practiced that and help them out, you know, from time to time and, and I was a good talker I think and probably I probably think that's what it was at the end of the day is that I was a good talker uh, you know, on the field and off the field I, you know, always trained really hard so I probably never took shortcuts at training, I don't think I ever, hardly ever missed any training sessions as well I, okay. I worked really hard on that and you know, I had good mentors again like the two mix and Brian Johns was another guy who's been a really good mentor to me over the years and um, yeah, so I suppose I naturally sort of just because of, because of my talk got me into into that role and, and you know, my, my first year in 94 was a really tough year because we came from the two grand finals and then we had a really poor year in 94 and, uh, you know, we, I, I don't even think we made the, the top five in, in 94 um, and that was really tough because there was sort of a lot of pressure on me and, and again, I probably... Didn't I thought that being captain, I had to do everything myself, mm-hmm. and um, and I, you know, I needed to realise that it just wasn't about me. It was about the team, and the team needed to all dig in as well. But when you when I was captain, I sort of felt that pressure that it had to be all about me trying to trying to fix what was wrong in terms of, of, of game day, and and uh, when you can't sort of control that, it was it was a bit of a frustrating year for me. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode. Just a quick break again. Next up on
0: Talking with TK, we've got the son of the legend Costa Zoo, forging his own path now in the boxing circuit. He's 7-0 with five knockouts. His name's Tim Zoo. He's someone the story. He's very down-to-earth, very level-headed, and he's an extremely good boxer. So here's a quick preview from the chat with Tim. Uh, Even back then, you know, you were so young, you know, it must have been a thrill to walk the belt into the ring. But did you realise how much of a big deal to the Australian public your father was?
2: Um... See, I never, my dad's, like, we always stayed away from, yeah. from the media, from all that stuff. We, we never got to see it. We always saw our dad as just an ordinary dad. Mm. Um, but he, we always, he always told us, you know, you've got to be like everyone, but you've got to stand out
0: from everyone at the same time. So, guys, be on the lookout for that one. The only way not to miss a thing is to subscribe. You can do it all for free via sites like iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher or you can catch it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Please connect with me, Twitter, I'm at TalkingWithTK. Now back to the show. Just thinking on leadership for a tick, has there been anyone in your life or maybe from outside that you don't know that has heavily influenced you in terms of leadership and maybe some key traits that you use even with EML now? Uh,
1: No, not actually. It's probably not not, not really. I think... um you know, even you know, people give me lots of autobiographies to read. I actually don't mm-hmm. read them because I just think that you know, you got to get it's a bit of a life experience, and I'd rather create my own story than you know trying to do it from what someone else has done. But I think it's just the different experiences that you have. And mm-hmm. again, you know, I think I just look back and think, you know, Mick Beattie and Mick Potter and Brian Johnson were the real key guys to me. You know, particularly from you know from a team, right from a sporting team uh, point of view. And obviously, I've learnt different things from different people. Over time, you know, Brian, again, Brian Kate Smith was a good coach, David Waite was a good coach, learned lots of different stuff off him as well. So, to me, I sort of not no, no one that I haven't been involved in that sort of has given me lessons. It's just been more of a, you sort of pick different things from different people, and, mm. and I think that's what leadership's about, is that there's some things that'll work for me. Uh, as a leader but it might not work for somebody else so you just okay. got to pick the things that you think are, are the right things that, that, you want, that you want to do and that's generally how I've sort of treated leadership
0: yeah just back to 94 for a tick you know obviously it was a leading season for St George but state of origin wise it was one of the most classic moments in origin history where Warren says it's not a try it's a miracle it's probably the greatest try in origin history and something you'll be remembered for for the rest of your life having a look at the tape the other day you actually play the ball you get smashed by one of your great mates, Brad Mackay, as well, and then in the lead-up to
1: it. Can you take us through you playing the ball and what your observations of the whole movement was? Yeah, sure. So I think I come on with only that. Back then, it wasn't unlimited interchange, so, uh, or you couldn't interchange. It was just like once you were on, you were on, or once yeah. you were off, you were off. So I only came on with about nine minutes to go. And I remember coming on, just as I came on, Brad Mackay scored the try to put him up. And then uh, yeah, and obviously the clock ticked down. We scored a try. Um, I think Willie Kahn scored a try to get us back closer. And then obviously we were packing down on that scrum, that last scrum. And I know on Good Mates with Dave Barn who you told me that he packed down, thinking this is the easiest money I've ever made. So he'd just come <laughs> on thinking that he that they're going to pick up the winning check. And then uh, yeah, you're right. I went out went out my way, and, and I played the ball, and and you uh, know obviously. It just sort of ha- it happens as it happens I suppose and, and uh, I suppose when I saw Steve runoff take off down the sideline and the ball come back inside I was c- sort of could look at the numbers and go if this ball keeps coming out you know I could be a chance here and uh, and obviously the ball kept coming out and they were obviously running out of numbers and had a mad scramble coming across and then obviously you know mal, mal you know was really unselfish and he gave me a shot and g- gave me that ball and Again, thankfully, it was on, you know, it was the right-hand side where I obviously had my right footstep and yeah. Freddie was coming pretty hard at me, but I just ducked inside Freddie and, and got it down. And I remember I was just sort of waiting, waiting for Bill Harrigan to, to blow the whistle, but it took ages to blow the whistle in my mind. Yeah. Uh, finally did, uh, and then obviously it was a bit of pandemonium. I remember, I know I've talked to Freddie since, Freddie said, sort I of had the, had my time again, I would have taken your head off. Because he's, he's obviously a legend of the game, Freddie, but every year he's got to go and watch, you know, that Boy, try, watch yeah. that try where, <laughs> where, where he didn't get me. So, um, so yeah, it's a bit hard on Fred, but... he um, did a remarkable yeah. job to keep your elbow up, but... Yeah, I suppose, but, you know, I'd been around for a while, and, and you know, again, I'd, you know, I was used to using my right footstep near the try line, so, you know, it wasn't something that I just sort of pulled out, like, you know, you know what you have to do yeah. instinctively around that, and... Yeah, it was a funny. I had a really weird after you know after the match experience. Obviously, I was excited and all that because I only played you know nine minutes. You don't really feel like you've done a lot. My yeah. jersey was still clean and, and the like. And I felt a bit overwhelmed by you know all the attention at the time. And um, I know that that night, you know, I didn't I didn't even have a beer. That I might have had one beer after the game, but then I drove home that night uh, with my wife back to our house. I got I got pulled up by a booze bus. Believe it or not, yeah. And the cop has said, "What have you been doing tonight, mate?" And I said, "I oh, know, just been out watching the footy." <laughs> But uh, had, he kn- had he known that I'd actually scored that try, he might have arrested me. But, um, but yeah, I just had a really quiet night that night because I was a bit overwhelmed by it all. And the next day, sort of everything exploded because the media wanted to, you know, obviously talk to me about the try and all that sort of stuff. But oh, yeah, it's been lucky. It's a good thing to be remembered for. You know, it's one thing, you know, it's nice that I've had a really great career and there's lots of good things that I've achieved. And that's obviously a special one, but it's nice that people, you know, I'm getting remembered for something you know, like that. And again i've got to be i don't claim the credit for it it was a great team movement i got to finish off uh, finish it off obviously but you know there's you know the run that steve Renoff did you know the pass that really came through like there were some really special moments you know during that try and if people hadn't made the right decision that would never would have got to me so you know i'm very fortunate that i got to finish it off and i suppose i get all the glory around it Uh, but you know it really was a great team effort.
0: Yeah talking about special moments the year after 95 Queensland's absolutely decimated obviously the Super League players couldn't play You get a new coach in Paul Vauden and you guys beat the white you know the absolutely star-studded team from New South Wales 3-0. Can you tell me a little bit talk me a little bit about the approach going into camp and what the team was actually thinking prior to game one?
1: Yeah, it was a great I mean if people ask me what's my greatest memory of origin, people often probably think I'm gonna say that try in ninety four, but ninety five actually my, my my great greatest memory in terms of what we achieved. So yeah, we didn't have any sort of, I think there was me, Billy Moore, Gary Larson, May I think Dale Shearer was in was in game one. Uh but we didn't really have a lot of depth. You know, yeah. you had you had guys who hadn't played before, like, you know, Craig Craig Teeven and Benny Iken. Uh Benny Eichen, yeah, Benny Iken was my roommate. <laughs> uh which is really weird. That's a different story. But um, yeah, so, you know, and then obviously Fatty coming in as, as the coach. And um, I remember it was just from that, that first meeting that we had as a group and, you know, everyone got up and said a few words, all, all all the coaches on me. And then Chris Close got up and and tried to say something. He just choked up. He couldn't actually talk. He was, say, teary around, you know, around the fact that we got ourselves in this position and, you know, what it meant to be a Queensland and what we could do. And I think after that, those those initial speeches, everyone sort of looked at each other and thought, yeah, we could actually do something here. and and then uh but you know saying that you know i was still obviously nervous because we're playing a gun you're playing a gun you know uh, new south wales team you know had freddie and and uh and the others around mary mcgregor and all those guys and we knew it was going to be tough and we played our first game down here but we just one of the things that stood out to me is that fatty did an enormous amount of work around goal line defense like every time we finished the session fatty would go let's go and do goal line defense and Mm -hmm. just go down there and do all these sets of goal line defense and and uh and fatty fatty was obviously a real joker uh but he's actually quite serious as well like he was actually a really good coach and he got the he got the mix right between humor and when we had to switch on and, and he was absolutely fantastic fatty and i think would have made a good coach but he probably made more money doing doing TV, uh, yeah. tv so um so great memories of fatty as a coach but i think just doing all that all that goal line defense because in the first game down in at the footy stadium is that we only Won that game two nil, mm-hmm. and we and through that whole series we saved that many tries. Like we were to say, probably nearly average of five or six tries a game. And I reckon it all came from that Fatty saying this that goal line defence, don't let them cross your line. And then when we won that first game two nil, down here, like the, the shot of confidence that that we got, mm-hmm. and particularly the, the new guys that had just come into the team, who you know again, guys who thought they'd never play NAP Origin in their lives, they just got a real buzz out of it. And then we went down to Melbourne and and uh yeah to win that game and you know you almost win it on the bell they had a try disallowed by a forward pass right at the end and then Brady dallas ran away and scored that try oh, yeah. uh, at the end great try. and uh and to win that you know to win the series down there was was just you know an amazing story and uh yeah great memory and because of course i mean if you look back through my origin history i'd only won one series which was that series so yeah. i actually didn't win out of about seven series i only really won the one series so so I didn't have much luck winning like Grand Finals or Origin Series, but that was one that I did win. And, and uh, yeah, you know, that was a really, really great moment, really proud moment. Then we went back to, to Brisbane and played that final game at Lane Park and to win in front of our home crowd was just, you know, was, you know, we tear up now, thinking about it was really special.
0: Yeah, great memory. Take me back to now the ARL and Super League War, which obviously started in 1995. Why did you actually pick the ARL site? And what was kind of, Give us some insights into because I'm I'm assuming that all of a sudden you guys went from having a job and having to play footy to all of a sudden getting huge contracts.
1: Yeah, it was a really weird period and um, yeah, it's it's hard to even talk about you know what you, what I was thinking back then because it was such there was such different information going back and forth around who do you pick who do you pick and. Um, I suppose ultimately for me, why I, why I went with, with the ARL um, is because St George had stayed with the ARL. So I, I'd always been a Dragons, a Dragons uh, supporter since I was seven years old. To get to where the Red V was special, to actually get the captain them was amazing from you know a young kid running around in Sunnybank. And um, I suppose they didn't, they didn't, Super League didn't approach St George. They approached obviously other clubs mm. and signed them. St George wasn't one that they wanted to target at that time. So the ARL obviously came in, and pretty, pretty much it was because the the ARL uh, were supporting the Dragons, is why I decided to stay with them. Um, and then obviously there was there's lots of stuff that went on after I'd signed because then the Dragons looked like they were going to turn and go to Super League, and, yeah. and that got a bit worrying for me because I was over playing in the World Cup when all that happened, uh, when you know there was people speaking out about the club going to the, to the Super League and. That made me nervous because I'd just signed a three-year contract and I was going, well, where am I going to go? So it was a very hard period because, you know, you just you just didn't know what, what the truth was out there and, you know, you didn't know whether that the comp was going to get up or was there going to be an ARL comp or Super League. It was quite I mean, it was quite hard for the players in one respect, um, but in another respect, it meant that we probably, you know, we all got really good pay increases. And, and when you think about it, like the players were the ones out there providing the product and, mm-hmm. and yet we weren't getting the benefits of that product. So, you know, I think... Well, Super League really disrupted the game and there's lots of people that, that probably maybe had never came back to the game after it. I think it, was, it had to happen because, you know, the players weren't getting what, what, what they expected, uh, what, they, what they deserved, I think. And, and I think Super League was great in, in, that, in that way and the yeah. players actually got paid. What they, what they to get paid, given they were generating all the revenue for, for, the game. Yeah, it must have been hard, but because you guys got back on the front foot, because you
0: guys brought through Anthony Mundine, who ended up having to leave for a season. He went to Brisbane Broncos to play Super League, obviously at se- after a huge ninety six season, because you just come off the grand final to Manly. Yeah, it must have been pretty difficult losing pretty much your best player. And then having to regroup for another season.
1: Yeah, well, that '96 year was just a, a crazy year. You know, again, I was captain of that year, and we went from you know at the end of '95. I think we got we got beaten in the semi-finals by the Dogs, maybe. And then '96, uh, Brian Smith left, and Rod Reddy came in to coach. Uh, the, and he was there for pre-season. Uh, at the end of '95, the pre-season, he was he was our coach, and then there was all these rumours that Rod Reddy was going to go and, and coach. Uh, the Mariners, not the Mariners, the um, Adelaide Rams, sorry, Adelaide Rams. And I put it to, to Rod and I said, you know, you need to come out and tell the boys what's going on because, you know, we need to know what's happening. Mm. And uh, he came out, you know, at the end of, end of, the, end of the, our last season, our last training pre, in, in December saying that he was sticking solid with the club. And then, like, over over Christmas then he, he de- defected over to... Um, over to the Adelaide Rams, mm-hmm. and then we had a lot of other players defect as well. So, you know, Chuck wasn't, the, Mundine wasn't the only one, like we lost Nathan Brown, mm-hmm. Noel Goldthorpe, Gordon Tallis, uh, Jason Stevens, uh, Nick Sisti, there was a whole heap of players. So when we came back for 96, training um, in January, there was seven players, wow. seven players at training and no coach. And, uh, and we ended up doing, you know, we, had, we ran the session ourselves um, then because Rocket took the assistant coaches as well, so we had, we had no, no one. one. Yeah. So thankfully the club you know, had worked and got David Wake to come down. And then it was a really funny process in that all of the, the, the club or the ARL or St George, I'm not sure who did it, but they took the players who had contracts with us to court and they got forced to come back to the club. So yeah. we were getting players who didn't really want to be there coming back yeah. to the club. So, you know, every week someone would come back, Jason Stevens would turn up. <laughs> then Noel Goldthorpe would turn up and Mundine and Brown would turn up. Was well, there um, a division between the players? No, no, no. We were really conscious. And this is probably, you know, that they're good friends of ours. And I think that we had the approach that, you know, they're doing what they think is right for them. Yeah. I never held anything against anybody for whether they signed the Super League or not. Because again, there's lots of misinformation. Players which trying to do their best for themselves. So... I never felt that that those guys were doing the right thing uh, by the club, though the club probably said we got a contract, so you got mm. to come back. So they all came back. So we were really made sure they were welcome when they came back. We gave them a bit of ribbing. They got a big, they got a big applause when they turned up. So that was quite funny. But they slowly all came back, um, and then we ended up obviously having a pretty strong team. The only one that didn't come back was Gordon. Gordon uh, didn't come back. He he decided to sit out the year yeah, that yeah, year yeah. and. Um, you know, you can talk to Gordon about how he felt about that, but you know, end of the day, Gordon missed out on playing a grand final that year, and I know he played in a lot of grand finals. Gordon, he's been lucky in that regard as well, and he's won some. But you know, that is a grand final that that he could have he could have played as well that he missed out on, and, um, and he ended up sitting out the year. So, it would have been good to get Gordon back, but you know, I think there was some other stuff at play around there. Obviously, why well, he wouldn't come back, but we tried to get him back, but yeah, and he, he would have made a difference to us, I think, in the grand final because obviously, the player. That he is, but um, yeah, it was really good to get those guys back. They felt welcome. We had a great year. 96, you know, again, was a really good memory of mine from having no players at the start of the year to getting them all back and getting to the grand final. It was pretty cool. Uh, and then, of course, the next year, you know, the competition split and we lost all of our players again. And 97 was a pretty tough year for us again because we lost so many good players and yeah. we had a lot of young kids but and just didn't have a good enough team to do anything.
0: Yeah, last topic, just St George Illawarra, when it all came together in 1999, Bringing in a team from St George and then a team from Illawarra, how long did it actually take to to build some team harmony there?
1: Oh, it took a little bit of time, but I think the one good thing that that you know that Mary and I did, Mary and I got together, Paul McGregor uh, got together really early on. So let's you know make sure we make make this work. And we said the only way to make this work is if you and I really demonstrate you know the right leadership yep. around this. So we were, we were pretty good working together, Mary and I. I. Had a great. I didn't really know Paul before. We came together. We'd obviously battled a lot in games and state of origin matches, but and we had a really good respect for each other. I think. Yep. Um, so yeah. So we we got on really well and just made sure that we set you know we set the right positive mood around that. And I think then you know a lot, lot of the other players sort of followed. David Wade and Andrew Farrow were the same. They set a really good example as the two head coaches coming together. And uh, yeah, and that was again a really terrific year uh, where you know we we had an amazing talented pool of people. And that was probably the hardest thing. There's so many good players there, and that some yeah. of us some of us missed out and uh and that you know that was tough i got put back one you know i think after the third game i got put back into reserve grade and that was really hard for me but again it just sort of showed that there was a really good quality team around you know around that they could pick from so um so yes i think the fact that paul and i worked really hard to make sure that we we made a really inclusive environment not about them or us made a big difference
0: yeah a couple of personality questions just to finish in terms of favorite grounds Maybe, I know that obviously Cogger Jubilee and probably Suncorp are going to be two two out there. If you just strip them out, was there anything else, any other grounds that you really enjoyed playing at?
1: Uh, you always sometimes you like playing in the uh, in the real hostile environment. So yeah, I, yeah I, I didn't you know even I didn't mind playing at Suncorp when it was a Broncos game. Okay. I mean I obviously loved playing there when I was Queensland. But no, you like you know I love playing against Manly. Like Manly over at Brookvale is uh it was always a always always hard game over there against them. So I think yeah I generally. You know any any away ground but you know brookie was good i like playing up at newcastle as well newcastle you know yeah. they're great supporters up there so so uh, newcastle was all, always good fun but I, re- I really did you know again as you said cogger and, and, and Lang park I, I really enjoyed going out to the country areas as well so when yeah. we played some of those pre-season comps in the in the early 90s like going out to mudgie and all those places was really great fun as well because the people are so passionate out there and, you, and they get to see their you know the people they look up to play or their teams play and. Getting to spend time with them in the community was really cool.
0: Yeah, actually I was having a conversation over a beer with one of my mates and we were saying that Tui's knockout was our favourite thing. Sometimes it was more favourite than the actual season because they actually, before the season started, everyone came together for a knockout. Was that kind of something as a player maybe you might want to see come back?
1: Oh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, it's probably a bit hard to say that nowadays because their workload's a lot different, different you know, yeah. back, back, back we, we we were there and, you know, you think about some of these rep players, what they go through, you know, the likes of Cam Smith and those guys, the amount of, you know, strain that their body must have, all the games that they play. So it's probably a bit hard to make those guys play in a pre-season, but well, yeah, pre-season was great, and I think the best thing about that was just going to the country areas. Like the country is obviously crying out to, yeah, to see the players come out there, and we know that you know the Bush Rugby League and even the Junior Rugby League, they're all struggling to, to get numbers, and um, you know the more you can promote the game you know, out in those areas, I think, the better.
0: Yeah, final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite?
1: Oh God, that's a uh, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, I think Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady would be pretty cool. Are you a Patriots guy, yeah, yeah, Patriots guy. So I think Tom Brady would be pretty good. Um, I think um, um, Steph Curry. I think so. I watch a bit of the NBA because my yeah. son's a big fan of the NBA, so okay. I watch watch a bit of the NBA. So I think Steph Curry would would, would be pretty cool. Uh, I think Bruno Mars just yeah. to be, be a bit entertaining would be. Would be good. So that's my top three. I'm coming. The next two are going to be pretty tough to think yeah, about. Like three
0: good ones straight up.
1: Three, three good ones straight up. Um, I think presumably pick an Australian, I suppose. Uh, maybe Tubby Taylor because I'm a good mates with Mark, and am I allowed to pick friends?
0: Yeah, well, I'll pick. He's I'll a pick, different one. He's a, he's like an immortal.
1: I'll pick I'll pick Tub because he's good with the red wine. Yeah. So uh, he'll bring he'll bring, he'll bring the good uh, red wine along. And uh, gee, the fifth one um, to try and think now, who, who do I like? The fifth. No, I don't know. I can't think of who I'd buy. If we'd trying to try and do a movie star, wouldn't I? I, I probably need a female, don't I, because I haven't... Uh having, I'll uh, get in trouble if I pick a female because my wife will go <laughs> cook on me. Uh, no, I pass, I'm out. I pause, pause, pause it.
0: No dramas at all. Well, Mark, before I let you leave, usually I give social media, you're not in social media, are you? Usually I give a handle out. You're not on Facebook or anything at all, are you?
1: No, I don't do that. Um, no, I don't do that. I just, uh, my job, my work's busy enough not have to go and do social media stuff. My wife shows me the stuff I need to see.
0: <laughs> well, Mark, it's been absolutely brilliant. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and Thanks sharing absolutely. all, the, all awesome insights and stories so i appreciate it thanks mate it's been great thanks, thanks on you mate and guys that was the legend mark Coyne. please if you enjoyed that share it with your family and friends please tag me on any posts on social media you'll find me twitter facebook i'm at talking with tk instagram i'm at tristan nell or please send me an email let me know what you thought of the episode tristan at talking with tk.com please send through any requests for any guests and i'll try my best to get them on if it's your first time here, please subscribe to the show. You can do that via iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher. If you're an iTunes user, please leave me a review. Really helps me to continue to grow the show. If you haven't got access to any of those, easiest way, jump online every week. I have episodes either on a Monday or Thursday, and you can find them www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, that is it for today. Thursday, Tim Zoo will be out, so be on the lookout for that. But I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.